0: Good morning, church. Would you
1: stand with us as we get ready to worship this morning? Uh, Pastor Weston is feeling so much better, but uh, he unfortunately still has to quarantine for just another day or two, and he will be back next week. So we are going to worship in the meantime. Uh, the weather has been sunny and beautiful. Our God is good. Let's get ready to worship him this morning.
2: Oh, we look to the sun, Savior. see see the
1: Worship you, let's continue to worship him, church.
2: When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Why? My fear My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand chance when i say
1: love in this place this morning God we worship you Lord because you are worthy you can Jesus, we thank you that there is nothing on this earth in the heavens that is greater than you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. The Psalmist says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And I think back to a time when I was younger, maybe some of us have had this experience, but the first time I got glasses, I remember my parents were worried because things were kind of blurry for me. And I remember coming back on the drive home. My parents were driving and I would just lower my glasses and put them back up because once I put them on, I was seeing something so beautiful, so detailed for the first time in my life. And God wants us to know that when we see with his vision, when we look out and we let him light our path, that those things, that clarity, those details that God sees will come into our vision as well. Let's continue to worship him. Let's sing, Be Thou My Vision this morning.
2: Be thou my vision, O Lord. my wisdom. This is a
3: To be called yours, to follow you, to live inside of your promises, Lord. To know that you hold our future in your good hands. We remember that you said that you have gone to prepare a place for us. And if you go and prepare a place, then you will come and take us to be with you. And we celebrate that this morning, Lord. We worship you. You are our Savior. You are our King. You're the one who leads us through this wilderness to the promised land. And we rest in you, God, and we praise you and we exalt you and we do it in Jesus' name together. Church, let's pray just like the Lord taught us to pray as a family in one accord, in one spirit. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. Welcome to first service at MRCC. Welcome to everybody who's gathering with us online. We're thrilled that you could be with us. Hey, gang. In one week, phase three, somebody say amen. Huh? Amen. We're getting there. We are getting there. We are overcoming. And someday when we have grandkids, we can make this so much worse than it was and make us look like heroes and tell them stories going uphill both ways and all that. We're going to make it. Take a moment. Say hi to somebody. Make sure everybody feels welcome this morning. Would you do that, church? And we're thrilled that you could be with us this morning. We are getting closer and closer to the end of this. I'm excited about that. I do want to tell you that uh, Pastor Weston and Bree, I know we've been praying for them all week. They're doing great, uh, recovering 100%. Um, uh, Pastor Weston's still wrestling with the no taste thing, and since he's kind of a foodie and lives for food, uh, we're all laughing at him and laughing with him, but... Uh, that will come back as well. He'll recover from that as well. So he's doing good. I do want to ask you, though, to pray with me uh, if you would this morning because one of our own, uh, Mitzi Esquez, many of you know Ron and Mitzi, and Mitzi went into the hospital this week as she's been battling with COVID. And uh, they just told her they would be able to send her home Friday, and then they couldn't. Then they told her Saturday, and then they couldn't. And so this morning I was talking with her before service, and she's really hoping to be able to go home today. But still, you know, the docs want to make sure everything's 100% So I want to ask you to join with me in prayer for her and and also for Janice Weems. Some of you may know Janice. Janice has been battling uh, sickness. Not quite sure what it is, but is battling uh, sickness as well. So let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning because you are our healer. We come to you because we know that you love us and because you know that we receive us just because we believe in your son. And so this morning we come to you, Lord, boldly to your throne And we come to you to pray for Mitzi, Lord, and ask you to touch her body in that hospital room, to wash away the sickness once and for all, allow her to be able to go home, be with her husband. God, nobody can visit her because of everything that's going on. We're not telling you stuff you don't know. We pray for her healing. We pray that she would be able to go home today and that her recovery and recuperation would just be clean and smooth and full of the power of your spirit. We lift her up to you and pray for her healing. We pray for Janice as well, God, as she battles through whatever uh, is afflicting her, Lord. As we grow older, we feel the weakness and frailty. We pray that you would touch her with your power and heal her this morning. We lift Janice up to you and we do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is great to see you. Hey. um couple of things that I want to keep uh, in front of us, church, uh, as we're going forward. One is that Easter Sunday is coming up in just a few weeks, just three weeks. It's the first Sunday in April. And uh, as you know, we tend to get a big crowd on Easter, as many in the past pre-pandemic as 1,500 people getting in here over the course of the morning. So we're going to have four different services on Easter morning, and they'll be a little bit shorter, 8, 9, 10, and 11. So uh, change to our usual schedule on Easter morning. Just be aware of that 8, 9, 10, and 11. And uh, for those of us who are gathering online on that Easter morning, our live stream services will be the 8 and 10 o'clock services. We're not doing all four of them on Easter because the software and the, the, the services that we use to make sure we don't lag or buffer or anything like that takes a little bit of time to reset between services. We won't have enough time on that Sunday morning. So, 8 and 10 for the live stream on our, uh, Easter morning, and then 8, 9, 10, and 11 here uh, in-house. Also, uh, coming up this Saturday night is uh, the Mops Night Out, Mothers of Preschoolers. If you'd like to be a part of that, you're welcome. Contact the church office. They have a, 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 a ladies' night out uh, in the spring and in the fall, so that's coming right around the corner. And then, um, church, this morning, we, we have something to celebrate as a family. Uh, I want to ask Jakin Rogel to come join me up here on the platform, and let me tell you a little bit about Jakin. If you don't know his story here, uh, it's a little over two years ago that Jakin dedicated his life to pursuing God's calling in ministry. And what that meant was that he became first an intern and then a member of our church staff here, one of four young men who've been on that journey in the last several years. And, and Jacob has spent the last two years learning what it is to serve, learning how to live inside of the lifestyle of a minister. He feels a lifelong calling to ministry, specifically to college and career young adults and through media. And um, he has finished his two-year training here at our fellowship. He was still going to be part of our church. Uh, but he is moving on beyond that into the next phase that God has for him. And he has, uh, he has some plans. I'll give him just a minute here to, to share with you a little bit uh, about your journey in the last two years before we pray over you, Jakin. Because I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to out you here for a second here, <laughs> all right? So when Jakin came to us, um, I said, Jacon, here's the big challenge, brother. I said, uh, you have always been great at starting stuff in your life. You haven't been as great at finishing stuff. And it's the finishing that matters. And I said, uh, yeah. And we had to talk about that. And church, listen to me. Jaquen owned that, recognized that, and then grew that. And Jaquen started, and he has finished his season of preparation here at MRCC. And I think that's something to celebrate. That's something to celebrate. Anything you want to share with us, brother? We want to pray over you because we we know there's a lot of dreams and visions in your heart. But anything you want to say to us before we pray? Over you?
4: Uh, yeah. First off, thank you. You know, this isn't just a, a me thing or our staff thing. You know, this is um everybody, everyone who's been a part of this. Most of my time here, I spent in a kids' church, which was such a blessing. You know, um, there is nothing like seeing the love that a child has for God. You know, so innocent, so pure, and You know, it wasn't like the easiest thing, and I think one of the greatest things that I learned from this whole experience is, I think probably two things actually. Uh, One was is that your ideals aren't really what reality is, right, and you kind of have to go give and take a little bit. But the second thing was is that ministry is a lifestyle, you know, and that's for everybody. That's for every person, and it's just like our job or whatever, um, our privilege really to help empower people to do the same thing. Uh, so again i can't thank you guys enough uh, my plans moving forward is a lot of what greg talks about I have such a heart for people my age and just so you guys know i mean i don't want to be too long but our demographic has is the most isolated that we've ever seen right before and uh i have such a heart for that because our god is a god who belongs and he's one that wants us all to be part of a family. So thank you guys so much again just for being that support for me. Um, I, I really look forward to, you know, coming here too and like serving and whatnot that I can. And yeah, just thank you. Amen.
3: And Jacob, as you know, oh, let's hold that for just a second. Jacob, as you know, has earned uh, his preliminary credentials in the assemblies of God is continuing to pursue those. And and today isn't the end of the story of what God's been doing in his life with us. Today's just the next step in, and we're excited to watch you serve the Lord the rest of your life for your generation. We're thrilled about that. Church, would you would you stand with me again and can we pray and ask God's blessing over Jacob as he steps out of our staff and into what God has next for him? Lord, we thank you for giving us for a season, Lord, the gift of this young man. His heart, his mind, his spirit. His hunger for you, Lord, his love for you, his tenderness with people. God, you, you have blessed us with him. And God, we pray that, that his time on our staff would be fertile soil that springs up and bears much fruit as he goes forward. God, we look forward to celebrating the day when we look at each other and say, hey, we remember Jake and before he was a big shot. God, uh, before you brought him into so much more in your kingdom. And God, we ask your blessing on him as he goes. We thank you for him. And we thank you as a church for having been privileged to be part of preparing him for his future, God. Uh, We're going to see him next Sunday and the Sunday after, Lord. But we pray your blessing on the next step for him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Jake. And yeah, now we can celebrate that. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, if you didn't know, there's four uh, young men on that journey. Actually, four young men and now a young lady. Grace Jung became part of our internship program this last spring, and uh, she's doing the same. So there's there's five altogether, and we're looking forward to, to what God does. A healthy church should be raising up and preparing, preparing the next generation. Amen? And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So it's good stuff. Um, I want to introduce to you our guest today. Uh, Brent Colby is... Uh, a seasoned pastor in our network. He served churches in Seattle, in Palsbo, in Olympia. He has served as the children's director for our entire Northwest Network, much as uh, our former pastor, Zach, serves as the youth director for our network. Uh, Brent fulfilled that same role for the children's ministry. And now Brent and Bree are becoming part of a very special group in our network, which is our missionary group. Uh, Brent and Bree have been called into the mission field they are spending this year, itinerating and visiting churches preparatory to taking that next step. He's gonna tell you a little bit about where God has called him and his family. His family will be arriving a little later uh, this morning for later services, but uh, so he's here with us uh, by himself in first, but I think his family's coming in at the end of second, is that what you said? Yeah, so they'll be here a little later. There's a table in back where you'll be able to connect with him. Church, let's understand that uh, this fellowship of churches called the Northwest Network of Assemblies of God churches, one of our primary reasons for existing is to to raise up and send missionaries around the world. And if you go to our church's website, you'll see that we, MRCC, are a part of that. There are 29 missionaries listed on our church website that we are a part of supporting every single month. And every time we give uh, every week, it's not just to our local church. It is also to those 29 ministries around the world. And Brent and Bree are stepping into that role as well. So would you welcome Brent Colby as he comes to share the word and share his calling and mission with us? Would you do that? Amen.
5: Thank you guys so much. We're so excited to be here today. And a special shout out to any parent who got a child here for eight o'clock. That's a special, I mean, that's a special gift. Moms and dads, if you pulled that off, I mean, my kids aren't here right now. That's all I got to say right now. The three-year-old was not having it when that that clock rolls back. Oh, thank you guys so much. We're so excited to be here. It's going to be, we're just so excited to share. And you guys, this is such a special church. I hope you recognize that. You have great leadership. You have just Clear mission and ministry and vision for this whole place, and you are blessed with incredible leaders. So, thank you for letting us be here today. We've been very excited to come and to share, and this is just a really, really special church. So, uh, this is my family. So, this is uh, my wife, Bria, you can see, and our four little kids. So many, so many kids. So, uh, our daughter is 11 years old. That's Adelaide, and she is fantastic. She just had her birthday. She's sweet and sensitive, she's our little artist. Our next oldest is Oliver. He's eight years old. He is boy from head to toe. He cannot hold still for one second. Uh, if he's not breaking something, he's, uh, he's given us big, giant hugs. He's very physical, and we love that guy. Owen is our third. He is sixth. He is hilarious. When we, when we told our kids that we would be going to the mission field and we would be learning a different language, he pulled my wife and said, aside and said, hey, Mom, can you... Uh, can you teach me all the bad words first, just so I don't say them? Right. So that's that's Owen. So when he's here, please help us. Please help us keep an eye on him. And then Madeline is three, and she is sweet and adorable. She is in a unicorn phase right now. I didn't know you could put unicorns on all the stuff people put unicorns on. But but socks, hats, shoes, uh, shirts. I mean, she has unicorns on everything. So um, so she's adorable, and uh, we're just really excited. To, to get here, I know that Brie and the kids, I think they're on the road right now, so they're excited to, to arrive and to kind of be with us. And we are missionaries to Belgium. Belgium is in Western Europe, and it is right above France, right below the Netherlands, right next to Germany, kind of just right across the water from uh, England there in the United Kingdom. And, and when we talk about ministry in Belgium, you know, a lot of times people think, well, that's cool. I, I, I know I know of, of Europe, right? Maybe I have watched some, some soccer here or there, or, or I've seen Rick Steves, you know, walking around on TV, and and I'm familiar with the place. Or maybe you've had a chance to go visit some of these beautiful cities and, and see these historic places. But you may ask yourself the question, do we need to send missionaries over there? I mean, there are Literally churches on every street corner and cathedrals, and you may, it may be almost difficult to, to do a Google image search and not come up with pictures of, of all these places and all these churches. And the truth is, is that the, the continent of Europe is desperate for the gospel. It is desperate for the gospel. In fact, they, researchers have identified that only about 3% of people across the whole continent of Europe identify as evangelical Christians. And there's so much here in the States that we take for granted about the relationship between our, our faith and our government and just our way of life that is not true over there. And Christianity has really, in many ways, been even repressed by a lot of the, the systems of government and just living over there. For so many people, it has, uh, it's a place that, as we know, has been ravished by war. In fact, in Europe right now, 25% of the world's refugees live in Europe. And when we look at Europe on a map, we we kind of always equate it to the same scale of the United States. But it is so much smaller than the United States. The country of Belgium itself, the place where we will be going, has a population of 11 million people. It is smaller than our own peninsula here in Washington State, if you can imagine that. And in Belgium, there are all sorts of people, whether through immigration uh, as refugees or immigration just finding a a better way of life, or the, the resident Europeans who have been there for generations of these people, just over 1% identify as Christians. Places like France and Belgium are desperate, just desperate for the gospel. And in these countries, in Belgium, in Belgium alone, there are over 420,000 Moroccans living in this country, among whom there's no native church planting movement similar for over 220,000 Turks, many moved over a generation ago, and today there's still no natural organic church planting movement among these people. You can I, We've identified over 29 different ethnic language groups of people who live throughout Belgium, among whom there is no native church planting movement. And could you imagine waking up this morning saying, I would love to go to church, and having no church to go to to preach to you in your own language? And it's this great need that really drew my, my wife and I to this place. It was this great need, and it was also a little bit, if we're honest, the waffles. Because we were really, we were really praying about where to go, and, and we were showing videos and YouTube clips all over the place. And, and there was a one particular YouTube video where this guy pulls out this hot, fresh waffle and takes this stick of chocolate and just really, and, and shoves the chocolate into the waffle. And my wife and I, we felt in that moment the Holy Spirit just speaking to us really clearly, you know. The need there is great. And the good news is that God has been calling men and women to go plant churches among these people who need to hear the gospel. And it's exciting to see just a fresh move of God thrive in these places. But one of the greatest challenges in Europe is to train and prepare ministers to go preach. You guys, have, that's a high value here. You understand the necessity of raising up the next generation of leaders to be equipped and to be able to know their word, to know how to lead and organize and to have that that, that lifestyle of ministry in, in order to lead the church, to equip the church to do the work that God has called it to do. And in Europe, in the past 10 years, our fellowship, our network of churches has had to close down six of our Bible training institutes because of a shortage of professors who will, who... They need professors to go over there. And it's also really difficult to create a private education model in many of these socialized countries where higher education is completely free. It's hard to fund and, and organize. And so, as my wife and I were just, we're serving in a local church, a lot like many of of the staff here, and we felt God God calling us to missions, and we were just praying about where to go. My wife is a nurse. She is brilliant. She's worked up at UW and Tacoma General and the NICU at different intensive care units. She's worked as a school nurse in the middle of all this COVID stuff. I mean, she she is so smart and so sharp. And I just you know, finished all my Bible training and we're just looking for a place to serve where they needed a school nurse and they needed a, a Bible nerd, a professor to come and to teach. And we one night stumbled across a, a blog post that had written, been written by one of the regional directors just praying out loud in this post. God, send us people to train up leaders. Our schools, there's waiting lists for our classes. We have students, men and women who feel called to go preach the gospel. We need people to come and to teach. And so we thought, man, this is this is, we should, we, we need to call them. We need to talk to them and see. And as we're having our conversations with this place and just seeing if we would be a good fit for each other, as we were like hanging up the first time, they said, yeah, you know, we have all these great needs. The other thing we really need is a school nurse. And my wife, like, we hadn't even told her that Bria was a nurse yet. She goes, well, I'm a school nurse. And, like, again, to keep accreditation for some of these places is so hard. And so we just felt God God opening incredible doors, just a clear pathway for our family to go serve in in Brussels, uh, what is, in many ways, kind of functions as the capital of Europe. And we'll be able to serve at a place called Continental Theological Seminary. And I think you can see a picture of it. You know, in fact, those giant uh, arched doors—they look like that because it's a converted uh, horse stables, is what it used to be. And uh, those were used to where the horses would kind of come in and out with the carriages, and they'd take care of them there. Great history to the school. Um, in the middle of Europe. It was even occupied by the Nazis at one point during World War II, and God had just really sovereignly kept and prepared this this place to be a great hub to train up leaders, not just in Belgium or Western Europe, but for all of Europe and even Northern Africa. This is one of the, the primary places where people who are connected to our network of churches go to get trained to go teach and preach about the gospel. And it's really our privilege and honor to be able to serve there and to be a, an extension of your ministry here as we go share the gospel and prepare people to plant churches all over the place. So and if you would love to hear more, we have our little prayer card. So stop in the back. We have plenty of prayer cards. Okay, we're good missionaries. I knew that, I knew that we needed those. And then, of course, you can jump on our, our website. There's a way you can subscribe to the little newsletter if you want to pray for us each month and kind of see what we're up to. We would love for you to do that. But yeah, hey, if you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 9. I want to read um, a passage, verse 35. Um, This is kind of a famous passage where Jesus is calling out his disciples. He's preparing them to basically go witness, to go preach. And he kind of uh, warms them up as we read this throughout the, the gospel of Matthew. And if you find chapter 9, verse 35, here's what it says. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages I love the first opening verse there. He went into the towns and villages. He was teaching the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of what? Of the kingdom. Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. The sovereignty, the reign, the right, the rule of God as the king over everything. In fact, this theme of the kingdom of God is one of the most pervasive themes throughout all of scripture. And Jesus is telling him, teaching people to anticipate a kingdom that had arrived. And for so many people, when they heard this language of a kingdom that had come, they were thinking a political, a social, a, a, a kingdom with a king and a throne and a castle and armies. And they thought that Jesus had come to maybe usher in a sort of revolution. You see, the people at the time were not sovereign. They were ruled by another country. And so Jesus is coming to proclaim a new kingdom was really of great interest to them. They thought maybe this was the time where they could restore that kingdom of years and years ago, the kingdom of David that we read about in the Old Testament where, and Solomon and these great kings who came and established and built castles and fought battles and won wars and, and, and created a, a place of great renown for all the people, a place that they could be proud of. And But Jesus came and he was proclaiming a kingdom that was so different than this and so much more important than this. In fact, the kingdom that Jesus was preaching, the kingdom that Jesus was introducing, was not just for the people of Israel, but would be for the whole world. And it's the same kingdom that we still preach and proclaim to this day. This was good news because it meant that the current system was gone, and it was going to change. What system? You know, that we can have a right relationship with God today because of what Jesus did for us is one of the most profound things. It is the most profound thing to ever happen in human history. You know, I was reading, uh, man, just this week when Jesus died and the the veil of the temple was torn, you know, the temple was this place that the Israelites came in to worship God and, and the Spirit of God physically dwelled in this place, in this temple, this geographical point on a map. And at the point of Jesus' death, in this great profound way, the the, the curtain tore and the Spirit of God was released, not just from that place, but into the whole world, into his people. You know, Paul writes to the church in Corinth that we are, us, this us as a body of people, we are the temple of God. We are where his Spirit dwells. And it has been asked of us, as we read in this passage, to go preach and proclaim this good news, this kingdom of God is here today. The other thing I see in this passage is that, you know, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because he knew they were lost. And when he saw them, what did he see? He saw them being harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion on the lost. It's so easy for us sometimes to not even see the lost around us. You know, sometimes the lost amongst us are sometimes, I don't know how to say this, but sometimes they're the most annoying amongst us sometimes, right? Like those people who really, really need Jesus are often the people we don't want to be, the, to be hanging out with, right? Those are the ones who give us the most trouble or the biggest pain sometimes or just, just, just straight up just frustrating to be with sometimes. And yet those are the ones who need us the most. For years and years, we worked in children's ministries, and it was always the kids who were the most honorary who needed the most love and affection. And sometimes that's true. I don't know, parents, you notice that with your kids at home, the kids who are acting up, the kids who are feisty and whiny, those are the ones, more than any other kid, need a big, giant hug, right? And I feel like Jesus was walking amongst his people, seeing this great, profound need, and he saw those who were helpless, who were hurting, who were harassed, and he had compassion on them. Man, there's a passage in Luke. If you're uh, quick in your Bible, you can flip to Luke 15, verse 3. Jesus tells this parable. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in an open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, I've not been a shepherd before, but I think, like, if I'm counting, I got 99 out of 100, like, that's pretty good, right? You know? I mean, I've shown up to church on Sunday. I'm like, I only see three of my four kids. That's pretty good. I'm sure the fourth one is. I'm sure the fourth one is close by, right? And so here he says, if you have hundred sheep and this shepherd sees 99 of them, he knows that he's missing one. He leaves the 99. And he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home, goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, Jesus says, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The other day I have to admit I was living a bit of the uh, a bit of the nostalgia from the good old days. You see I grew up I grew up playing rugby. I played rugby all through high school, I played it all through college. I even I even uh played it as an adult with a local league and club around here. I managed to pull it off and convince my wife to let me play rugby until my our oldest daughter was 1 year old. Now if you're doing the math, you know she's 11, so you know it's been 10 years since I've played any rugby. But in my mind it was just like yesterday right and so uh, literally two weeks ago I got this great idea you know what I said to my wife you know what I should really do tonight I think I should go play rugby (laughs) right this is this is the actual thought I had and so you know what I did I went to the garage and I pulled out the old rugby bag literally had that you know in the the movies where they blow the dust off the thing and I had one of those moments I'm literally dusting it out and I'm pulling out the shorts you know the shorts are like this wide and I'm like yeah, prob- those will probably fit, you know. So I'm like squeezing into this jersey on a Tuesday afternoon, and I'm walking out, i like, hey, babe, look, it still fits. And she's like, yeah, sure, it does not fit. So I literally, I went out and I played rugby, and I had so much fun. And I saw right next door was a kid's rugby team. And so I said to my 8-year-old son, Oliver, do you want to go play rugby? Well, I told you, he's a very physical boy, so he was all about going out and playing rugby. So we went out, and he had his first Rugby practice. I had a rugby practice myself. I'm still a little sore, if I'm honest, from it. And we're driving home, and I just, this is like this is like a dream of mine. I'm living this dream, like to play rugby with my son. This is a profound moment. And as we're driving home, he goes, "Uh, Dad." I'm like, "Yeah, buddy." Uh, and I see him poking his finger through his glasses. You know, wiggling his fingers. He goes, "I think, I think one of my glasses fell out of my glasses." And I'm like, "You think? You're not sure? Your finger's poking through it, son." Like. Yeah, no, it fell out. And I'm like, okay, no problem, uh, we'll find it. So we go, and we were in the car, so we run out. Well, it's getting dark, and we have like my, my, my flashlight on my phone, and we're looking through it in this grass field, and we can't find it. And so we get home, and my wife was already a little bit on the fence of Oliver playing rugby. Now she's totally, she's, not, she's off the fence. She's like, this is a bad idea. And you're literally, his glasses are falling apart. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? The next morning I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to go to this field, and I'm going to find a a lens from his glasses. Well, this is what the field looked like. Can you see that? This is the grass field. And I thought, you know, maybe he was playing, no, he was playing everywhere. And I literally got out of the car and I prayed, Lord, please help me find this glass because one, we need it because glasses are expensive for these little kids, right? And all of our breaks is about every three months. So I was like, we got to, please help me find the glass, one. And two, this would be this would be a great sermon illustration if I could find this. This would be really fantastic. So we start walking, and I'm walking, and, I, and I'm like, okay, let's be systematic. So I start on the edge, and I just walk a straight line, and then I walk back, and then I walk a straight line, and I had been out there for like 20 minutes, and I had covered like I don't know how many yards, because the field was huge, just walking all the way down and all the way back. And then, you won't believe it, I saw this, this next picture. That, can you see the lens in the middle of that? I saw that in the middle of the morning, early. My shoes were soaked. The grass was covered in dew. It had been sitting there overnight. I think I even have a closer picture of it if you can't see it here. There was his piece of glass in his glasses. And I was like, Lord, how in the world would you? This is amazing. I I walked around at a different angle. And just depending on the right angle, the, the thing would completely disappear. I mean, it's literally a piece of glass. It's made to be Completely transparent. But just the angle that it sat and the dew that had rested on the glass, it had been, and it was just, it was like in the far most random corner of the day. But I was determined if my son and I were ever gonna go to rugby practice again, we had to find (laughs) this piece of glass. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent As desperate as I was to find a piece of glass from a kid's glasses, Jesus is desperate, desperate for the lost. He loves them more deeply and profoundly than I think we could, than we would ever know. Back in Matthew, ask then the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. People are lost, and we need to go send workers to find them. So here's a question. Do we, do we see the lost people of our world today? The presence and pain and suffering is one of the greatest opportunity that we have to reach those, to, to minister and to speak to those who are just desperate for the truth, for hope, for God's profound love. And Jesus himself said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. However, our inability to see the lost often robs us of our most important task and purpose. We need to love people and we need to see the people that Jesus loves and that one sheep that's missing and that he searches for desperately. I mentioned in Belgium alone just 1% of people there are Christians. There's 26 unreached people groups. In Belgium, the need is profound. It's great. But this is just one place in a world that is desperate for the gospel. There are 446 thousand Tuareg in the country of Mali, among whom there is no church planting movement. There are one million people, people group called the Mandigo in the country of Gambia, among whom there is no church planting movement. In Bangladesh, there's 135 million sheikh, among whom there is no church planting movement. This is the largest, what we would call an unreached people group. This is the largest unreached people group in the world. These are people who, if they woke up today and they wanted to go to church, there'd be absolutely no place for them to go. If they stood on the roof of their house and shouted for week-long straight, someone tell me about Jesus, there's not a person among them who would have anything to say. There there is such a desperate need for us to send missionaries and to be part of what's going on. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So many people are counting on us to send missionaries the message of Jesus Christ. As we were researching Belgium, I'm kind of a history nerd, and so I just got carried away, and we're finding all these incredible stories and people and all this sort of stuff, and I came across a story of this division during World War I. It's the 77th division. And during World War I, there was an offensive called the Argonne Offensive. In fact, to this date, it is the largest offensive maneuver the United States military has ever engaged in. They, they deployed over 1.2 million men in this single offensive. So it was one of the, the last pushes of World War I. It's one of the things that helped bring an end to the World War. And on October 3rd, 1918, a man named Charles Whittlesley, he was a major of the 77th Infantry Division, he attacked and on his left and on his right, so too the different divisions attacked. It was this great offensive. And, and uh, Major Willsley was very successful. He broke through the German lines. And as he was continued to fight with his men, he had a troop of 550 men that broke through. He looked to his left and he looked to his right. And he realized that he was the only division that broke through. And quickly the Germans recognized this and they encircled this entire division. And in an effort to push back the Germans, the Allies started dropping bombs again on the German front line. Well, unfortunately, now that included uh, this commander and all of his men. And they went in there with 550 men, and in a matter of uh, just hours, they were reduced to just 195 men. That's all that were left. And they were desperate. They sent runners to get the message through to try to sneak through the lines, and runner after runner was either killed or captured. The bombs were dropping on them from their allies. They were in this, this depression. They were being shot at from the ridge. They had no food. They had no water. They weren't meant to go in and survive. They were meant to break through and, and be resupplied. But the, the, the offensive had failed on their left and on their right, and so they found themselves isolated. And they had one last option, and that was to send a messenger Pigeon. Now, I didn't really know this before, but during World War I and even World War II, pigeons were one of the major ways that people in the front lines communicated with the headquarters behind them. Because these homing pigeons, as as you've heard, they fly and they know where to go and they can find their base. And so there were literal actual units and wagons of birds just behind the enemy line. And and there would be men who would deploy. You've seen Rambo, right, with his gun and his bandolier and all There were guys who would be jumping out of, like, uh, airplanes and stuff like that. But instead of, like, ammo strapped to them, they've had birds. They literally would have, like, birds strapped to them, like bird whisperers. Like, on the way down, They, they they had birds. That was their thing. And they would send messages. And they sent a bird. And it got shot down. They sent a second bird. It got shot down. They had one of their last birds, and they would fix to it on their foot. They would put little tiny capsules like this one here, and they wrote in this very small handwriting on this very small piece of paper with this little thing attached to the bird's foot, this message that they needed to be rescued. And they let their, uh, their final bird fly. It immediately got shot down. But miraculously, somehow this bird hopped back up to its feet and took flight. The bird's name was Cher Ami, and it flew 25 miles in 25 minutes to deliver this message. And when it had arrived, the message that the bird delivered notified the allies that they needed to break through and rescue the men, which they did. That bird saved the lives of the surviving 195 men of that division. When that bird arrived, it had been shot through the breast, it had been blinded in one eye, and it had lost one of its legs. It became the hero of the 77th Infantry Division. They flew it back to the United States where the bird was from, and they, they gave it medals. They flew it in a parade. The, bird lived the, lo- the, the surgeon for the division actually operated on the bird and saved its life, which seems so absurd to us today, but it was this animal, this creature that had delivered that message that saved the lives of all of those men. And I tell this story and I reflect on it today Because I felt like as I was learning this, God was just asking me in my heart, will you send the message? Will you, Brent, Bria, Adelaide, Oliver, Owen, Madeline, will you guys give up everything you have here and will you go to a place so that you can send the message? Will you train men and women to send the message? Will you take this kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming to save the lost, to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to give hope to the hopeless, life to those who are presumed dead both in body and in spirit. Will you send that message of great hope to a place that needs it so desperately, to a place that feels like they've heard it all before, that they know what Jesus and the Bible and the church is all about? Will you go and will you be a part of what it takes to show them my true love, my compassion on them? Because if we can send the message We can save their lives, not because of anything we do, but because of what Jesus has done for each of us. It's Jesus Christ who saves us. It's Jesus Christ who's made a way for us. It's the Holy Spirit that was sent to each and every one of us that gives us power to tell people about Jesus in boldness and with great courage. And while my family is playing an incredibly small part of this, we're honored to go to be an extension of this ministry and the ministry of our network and this ministry of this global community of believers to go and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. So will you help us send the message? And perhaps there's people in your own life today that you're like, man, I know some people not across the world but across the street who need the message. I have people in my own family who need to hear the message. And the truth is, When we think about these people, and it's often a sibling, it's a co-worker, a friend. Man, maybe you're here without your spouse. And you think, I I know someone who needs a message. I pray that just God would give you the grace and the boldness and the courage to just speak the message of God's kingdom, of hope, of love. So that all the people who are desperate to hear would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to read your word, to gather together, to worship you. And God, we pray today as we just hear you asking us to pray that workers would be sent, that you would just help us have just a creative, imaginative way that we can send workers into this great harvest field, this field among whom there's so many desperate to hear your good news. God, give us the boldness and the clarity and the grace and graciousness to preach this message to those who would hear it, both in our lives here and in lives of people all around the world, people who we will never meet, and yet we can participate with this sending ministry to go send and to train people to preach your word. We pray this together in your name. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, my brother. Church, would you stand with me this morning? And let me just say this. before ron and i had the opportunity to go to europe and and a couple of times we did to spend several weeks riding around the country before we went we would have had this little question mark in our heart do we really need to send missionaries to western europe i mean is that aren't there more needy places but i have to tell you that after spending a couple of months riding around through towns villages talking to people being that is a dark dark place and the first time that I came back, I remember sitting in the plane going, I will never, ever, ever again doubt the need to send a missionary to Europe because the need is desperate. And God's called Brent and Bree to go. We're, we're with you, Brent, Bree. We, uh, we stand with you. We're going to support you, be alongside you as you go. Know that. And church, <laughs> this is all of our calls. You know that phrase, the good news of the kingdom, means that God's leadership is available to all those folks in Europe and to the lives of those around us. That's what we're here for. Amen. And and, and we get that mission done by, you know, kind of the, the hard work of sending and speaking And that's what God's called Brent and Bree, too. So, Father, we thank you for this calling that you've placed on their lives. We thank you for the calling you've placed on Jacob's life. God, we thank you that you've called us together as a church to help these missionaries, to help these young leaders grow. And we pray your blessing on their ministries. We pray that they would be filled with fruit. And finally... God, we pray that we would go into our neighborhoods and workplaces and schools, recognizing that we are missionaries as well. Your word says we are your ambassadors. God, open our eyes to the need, we pray, and we ask it this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with you throughout this week. Brent will be at the table out in the foyer if you want to connect with him. Go with God. Have a great afternoon, friends.